Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Take two. It's Kandashow's okay. Beatle Revolution. One, two, three, four. <laughs> iHeartRadio. Episode 83 of the Beatles Revolution. Here we are in 2020, and we're still talking about the Beatles, and I'm still learning more and more. I know they call the company Apple, but to me, the Beatles story is more like an onion, because with every layer I peel back, there's another layer to discover. The music, how it happened. On today's show, my old friend Peter Asher is coming back to join us to talk about what the fame was, the hysteria of Beatlemania, the British invasion from a man who lived it. And he's got a new book out called The Beatles A to Z. And it's not like Mark Lewison's book, The History of Everything That Happened. Just going through the alphabet, A for Apple, Z for the zebra crossing at Abbey Road, and just things that spark his memory about living through that time. Peter truly has a unique story. His sister, Jane Asher, is dating Paul McCartney, and Paul stays over at his house a lot. Peter's mom was a music teacher, so there's a piano. He's always hearing music. And Jane says, hey, any chance you've got a song for my brother? He and his friend Gordon put together a band, and he gives them World Without Love, number one hit. It's nice when your sister is dating one of the greatest musicians and songwriters in the world. That helps. That's a good start. So it becomes a huge hit with Peter and Gordon as a performer. And as Peter always said, I learned that when you're in the studio, the artist doesn't have the power. The producer has all the power. So after that, Peter became a producer and then he became a manager. Peter is the one who is in LA and brings this guy named James Taylor to Apple Records and says, you should sign him. I think he's good. He launched James Taylor. Kenny Rogers, Linda Ronstadt. He found all these guys, so much so that they made him a record executive. How many people are an artist, producer, manager, and record executive? And as Peter always said, you know all the dirty tricks that you think happen in the record company? All of it is true. Ouch. Peter Asher on this edition of Ken Dashow's Beatles Revolution. Please lock me away And don't allow the day here inside Peter Asher, welcome back to Beetle World. Thank you very much. Exciting to be here. I always love Thanks having you here. It's, it's, you've become a true friend and an extension of the show. You know, it's it's not so much a guest, but my other host, as you do other. Oh, brilliant! Thank you, you do radio as well, and you've got a. Did you ever write a music book before? No, I've never written a book of any kind before. And indeed, it must be said, this wasn't my idea. Um, you know, I've been approached over the years very frequently about writing a biography, an autobiography, and I've turned that down for various reasons. I think mostly just because in Beatle world, as you probably know, everybody who worked at Apple, every single person <laughs> in that building, literally and completely, the doorman, my assistant, you know, everyone who walked through the door, the guy who cut their hair, the guy who made their yes, suit. Yes, Leslie actually they've did. All written, they have. No, I'm not exaggerating. That's the point. I'm trying to make this is true. The guy who made their suits. The guy, everybody's written a book. So I kind of like the idea that the only people who hadn't were 
the Beatles and me. So anyway, that's why the Beatles, you and your sister, actually. Oh God, yes, she's 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 even further away from writing a book than yeah, um, of course. So anyway, that's why writing a Beatle autobiography never appealed to me. But uh, they came to me, the these publishers, Henry Holt, their old respectable company, and I. And they kept asking me to come to lunch. And I was going, I'm not doing the biography. And they went, no, we have another idea. They thought that the series of shows I did on using the alphabet uh, might make a good book. The alphabet, by the way, was not any in any way an attempt to be any more than the book is. Kind of encyclopedic or completist or any of that, you know. It was just using the alphabet the same way Sesame Street does. It was just, oh, look, here's a letter. And here's look, stories about here's the stories. letter. And so the letter could be for... Uh, song titles for sure but also people and places and ideas and musical forms and all kinds of stuff so I would follow each side and in some cases of course where there were no song titles and were you know when it, when it got to the X and, X's and Y's and Z's um, I did have to do some creative <laughs> inventing but they said we, we'd like to turn that into a book and I went well that sounds okay because I can write about the music a lot more than I would in an autobiography people seem to like it it's 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 been a fascinating process and, of course, a new world for me doing books. I was doing a book signing in Chicago last night and uh, it's a whole other world. It's fascinating. The Beatles A to Z. Uh, just to remind you that our friends across the pond refer to Z as Z. Correct. Just like zero is nil. As, uh, as you know, Chelsea beat Arsenal one nil. Oh, that's true. Yes. I hadn't thought of that one. But yes. Yeah. And in fact, I was successful in persuading them to put the right put the whole book in English. You will notice the A spelling. A to Z. It, right. And the, all this, there's a lot of extra use in there from the, you know, honor and whatever the words, all those words that America leaves the It gives it the right feeling. It gives it the right spirit and right pace. Like like the word zebra crossing. Yes. When people say a zebra crossing, well, it's stripes in the road, one of the most famous album covers in the world, and it's not a zebra crossing. It is a zebra crossing. And for those who think I'm crazy or Mr. Asher is, may I just remind you of the man who just got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Mark Bolin, singing about Deborah, just like a zebra. That's true. Well, actually, both pronunciations are <laughs> acceptable in England. I, I usually call it a zebra crossing, Do to be you honest. really? Because you've been living but, in Los Angeles for a long time. I think we called them zebras. Really? Um, but, but of course, typically in my book, because I do tend to ramble and t- to take take a leap in different directions, when it gets to the moment when I'm talking about the zebra crossing, which, of course, is one thing I do have on the Z, which immediately gives you access to everything they recorded in Abbey Road. So <laughs> right. It's easy. But I did talk about the man who invented them. Um <laughs> You know, the either side of, of of a zebra crossing, you may remember even the famous Beatles one. The there's pole. A, there's a pole, black and white striped pole with a yellow globe on top. Right. Which is called a Belisha beacon, named after Lord Hor Belisha, who invented the zebra crossing. Did you have to look this up? Or I you knew, knew this? that. You knew this? I oddly, I don't know why. My friend knows this stuff. I don't know why. No, I, I am a compendium of stupid, useless trivia facts. I know that kind I, of thing. Right, and I don't know the names of half the people who work here. Well, but. exactly, and also what I really don't know. I mean, I, every now and then now I find myself described as Beatles expert. I oh, I hate know, that, don't Absolutely you? not. I despise that. There are people who know, yes. not only know what every B-side was, they know the precise difference between the yeah. English album and the American album. But you can they look know that up. who played which guitar and which song. Right. I don't know any of that stuff. Right. What I do is look some of that up, incorporate some of it, but then add to it the fact that on certain occasions, and for some of it, I was there. And I actually got to see it or hear it or talk about it with with the people make, doing it. So I perhaps add a little realism to to uh, theoretical stuff. And that's what we've been doing since I started the show with guests. Not so much, and I have such 
love and respect for Mark Lewison and the research he does. Oh, he's amazing. Amazing. I mean, but, that's you see what a real historian does. Exactly. That's not who I interview on the show. No. It's about musicians. And I learn more from the musicians telling their story and the people who are truly involved directly, like you. Um, I just did uh, the last podcast was a look back on some of my highlights of 2019. And one of the most, the best explanation of Beatlemania in America oddly enough, came from Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. And Mike told the story about how in 1964, it was the first week in February, and he's going to college, and he said, you know, I looked exactly like you saw me on the TV show, but younger, with the same hair, the same silly hat, and that was it. And on the Monday that I came in after Ed Sullivan, the lunch lady said, hey, you got a Beatle haircut. Yeah. And it was exactly how I had looked the previous Friday and the year before that. Fast forward to later that year, he and his buddy got a beat-up car, and they were going around Texas to small towns, and they were playing coffee houses or going to college campus. Hey, for 20 bucks, we'll do a half-hour set in the coffee house. Yeah. And just try to make a few bucks. I did all that, of course. Yeah, of course. Like everybody kind of did that. And he said, I I stopped into a a 7-Eleven. We needed gas, and I got a Hershey bar. And the woman's just staring at me and shaking. I said, what is, what's, it's just, it's a Hershey bar. And she said, are you George Harrison? And I said, no, ma'am, I am not. And then we're, as we're driving, we notice cars are following us and cars are taking pictures. And I said, I went back to the 7-Eleven and said, why did you say it was George Harrison? She said, the radio said that George Harrison is in town with one of the other Beatles. <laughs> so he went to the radio station and said, why are you? He said, well, how dare you impersonate George Harrison and tell people you're George Harrison? He said, well, how dare you make that up? I've, I'm Mike Nesmith and I'm from Houston, and here I am in Corpus Christi, and it's 64, and the Beatles haven't, aren't touring in Texas. He said, why do you think that was? I said, Mike, you so desperately, desperately want to believe that you're going to see a Beatle, a meeted Beatle. They've seen Hard Day's Night a thousand times, and you just want to make it happen. So yeah. anybody who had a guitar, you could conv- You talk about mass hysteria. Yes. That's what it oh, is. Oh, it was. It totally was. I mean, I remember... The same early days. It was almost like a Beatle became a kind of a generic term, actually. <laughs> so even if you weren't one of those Beatles, you were... I mean, I remember Gordon and I were in an elevator in a hotel, and there was a guy in there with his kid who was probably seven or eight. I mean, the kid said, looked up at us and said, you a Beatle? Not a Beatle, of course, but a right. Beatle. And, uh, and we said, no, we're not. And the, but the father looked kind of puzzled. He said, well, you're English, right? And we said, yes. You sing, right? Yes. You know, and Close the implication enough. was, you're kind of a Beatle. You know? Right. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, we'll be a Beatle. But of course we weren't. And, and the, the, it did approach a, d- a degree of, of mass hysteria, which was thrilling. I mean, it was weird. Because, but also terrifying. I mean, all these terrifying. girls who were chasing you, if they caught you, they didn't know what to do. There was no... End game, <laughs> right? You know, it was it was just a mood of of uh, the strangest thing I saw when I really started to think this is clinical in its intensity <laughs> was Gordon and I were doing a gig and uh, an outdoor one at some kind of small baseball field or something. That at that point they would often pull up a couple of trucks and the truck bed would be the the stage, the stage, yeah. and and uh, the uh, it was another case which happened to the Beatles all the time that the police would say. Don't worry, we've got ton, plenty of security. We know it's, we can we can handle a few girls, and they never could. You know, of course, a thousand screaming because they had never seen anything yeah, like exactly. it. Exactly. So, um, and we came on stage, and these girls broke through this sort of cordon. There's only a few few amiable policemen, and <laughs> and suddenly we were being chased, and they told us to get off the stage, 
I don't know why, but they, they, they wanted us to flee. So we got, I jumped down off the truck bed thing and we were running towards uh, where the cars were and my glasses fell off on the air and onto the grass and I reached down on the run and grabbed them and picked them up. And I looked back, and a girl was kneeling down where the glasses had fallen, pulling up the grass and eating it. And I went, this is weird. <laughs> this is strange. I'm, I'm speechless. I'm, I mean, I'm speechless. whatever that means, which of course it means nothing, but... It was, I don't know what to say. It was odd, wasn't it? I mean, even as a young I kind of went, how, how, does that make you close to me? And being close to me makes you close to a beetle? Is that, yeah. I don't know what it was. It's, it's amazing. Listen, I just spent the holidays. Maybe one day I'll tell that story with a girl who did we'll, it. We'll, 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 we'll go, show up. We'll own up. <laughs> I just spent the holidays uh, in London. Uh, dear friends, and they live on Abbey Road. Yeah. They live at 20 Abbey Road. They're like, if you think where the car is in the background of the picture. Yeah. So we go by the Zebra Crossing every day on the way yeah. to the tube station. Mm. And the Saturday before we left, we're um, going to the high street, do some shopping. We're going to make some lunch. And on a Saturday, average Saturday, about 11 a.m., I actually said to my wife, Jane, I said, stop and count. There were 111 people waiting. Here we are on the edge of the end of 2019 waiting 50 years later to take their picture yep. in the middle of the street. Yeah. And we came home from a show. We went to a panto at the Palladium. We went for drinks. We came home. It was about 12.40 in the evening. There was a, a cold <clears throat> rain. And there was only about 35 people yep. at 12.31 in the morning waiting to take their picture. I mean, taxis avoid that route specifically because right, you can't. that crossing. I mean, because the, the Lords, of course, if someone steps onto the zebra crossing, you have, you have to, to stop. stop. And so it's really hard to It's get. a game of chicken of buses <laughs> trying to get by. Exactly. And, the, and my friend Ralph said, you know, every once in a while, there's a thing in the paper about how we need a street light there. And he said, absolutely not. This is hyster this is historical. And I kept thinking, somebody said it's it's the second most popular tourist attraction in the city of London. And I thought, could you imagine, here is the Empire State Building, and the second coolest thing in New York is 37th Street and right, 7th right, Avenue. Right. And yet, here's this picture, and you see, the thing is, and I'm not making fun of it or laughing at it, the sheer joy of people's faces, and not just children, uh, middle-aged adults, 60-year-old people, yeah. the smile, the childlike smile to stand there and have their picture. They're grinning from ear to ear. There isn't a mortgage payment or a health problem in the world. Right. When you stand in this street and take the picture. That's how of much course. the and music means. Exactly. And I think what's, it makes it extra cool that at the time they did it, of course, it was extremely casual. You know? Yeah. Uh, they went outside and took a picture on a Sunday to, morning. They decided to name the album after the street the studio was on. Some people still think it was named after the studio. Of course, it wasn't. Right. Um, they just said, well, we'll just name it after the street. We're in Abbey Road. Okay. And we'll take a picture in the street. <laughs> okay, fine. So <laughs> that's why when the whole Paul is dead nonsense and everything was happening. The clues, you know. Yeah. What's the license plate of the DW? And of course, you know, the idea that somebody would have bothered to to, to to even notice what the license plate was, let alone install one that, with a secret message on it, <laughs> is so absurd. You know, it's just whatever happened to be on the street at the time. I read that that gentleman, I forget his name, I knew it at one point, he, had, he replaced his license plate six times before he had to go to the British Department of Motor Vehicles and say, I need a different yeah, license right, plate. Right. 
It's it's pointless. I mean, who he, he never even thought why would they steal my license plate? Right. First he thought it was a, a just a prank. <clears throat> yeah. And then by the third time you go, oh, this is. Well, there's the street signs, as you know, they're put on with these giant industrial bolts, bolts now, and they, <laughs> and they still disappear. I mean, people must show up in the at two a.m. with an oxyacetylene torch or something, <laughs> Pull them off. but they still get taken down. As my friend, I asked Ralph. I said, "What's the strangest thing you ever saw about the people crossing?" He said, "It was a winter's day and it was cold." And there were four Japanese men, looked like businessmen. They were dressed professionally in suits. And they got down and they kissed the street. And he said, and I thought, do you know how many cars go over this every minute? Would you do that at home? Would you do that well, anywhere exactly. else? That, it that, just that, goes that, to your grass. That may beat eating the grass when my glasses touched right. it. Yeah. But With Lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's holy. It was holy to them and that's what it is. Exactly. Peter Asher, the book, The Beatles from A to Z. Um, I loved love what Giles did with Abbey Road. Oh, yes. It was fantastic. In, in a way, maybe it was the one of the best things he's ever done. Of, of Sgt. Pepper's, I love the White Album. Yeah. But you, the details of it and the extra material where you yeah. hear, we always talk about them fighting and not getting along. And what we hear in the studio is they're having a ball. Yeah. And Whenever music fun. was involved, they generally did. That I, I don't think I ever heard uh, an argument, you know, uh, other than maybe you know, why don't you use my song or something from George or something like that. But but about the about the music itself, they always resolved those arguments amicably. Yeah, Peter was there for the best in times and worst of times. You were the one that they handed this concept of, of Apple music. And for maybe for people who are young, don't realize that it, Apple is not a phone, it's not a computer, but Apple was this vision. It's not just a record company. The idea was to be more open, more free, yeah. bring in more artists and give more people a chance to express themselves. And it's a lovely idea, but in practicality, Spence, as you once said to me, when you get literally thousands and thousands of cassettes, how are you? Which is kind of what the internet is now. It's like everybody yes. puts their song on YouTube, so how do you break through? Yeah, and the stuff, I mean, we had high hopes of discovering some, you know, hidden geniuses, and we didn't in all the send-in stuff. Um, you know, and some of it wasn't even a cassette. Some of it would be, you know, the kind of really, somebody sending in a pile of lyrics inches thick that right. didn't scan or anything, absolutely convinced that John Lennon was going to write music to all the lyrics and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of semi-crazy stuff right. uh, and some stuff that just wasn't very good you know um, but we we lived up to our word we did listen to to all of it and sadly we didn't really get anything from that particular method but uh, the other thing you, you mentioned about Apple and Apple of course what's fascinating is to think that back then nobody imagined there being any conflict whatsoever between a computer company having a, the same name as a record company because there was no <laughs> connection right. between computers and records you know uh it's hard to it's unimaginable actually you can't think of that now but computers and music had nothing to do with each other once now, for work once for you, entertainment right now you can 
buy music on the computer, make music on the computer, save music on the None of that existed. They had nothing to do with each other. A computer was this geeky device that only a few people had that could do exotic calculations, and music was music. Peter, this is a great gift. You know, everybody comes to me with Beatle books and things. And, of course. And again, the recollections of the people who are influenced by it, who are around them, that's I, who I learned so much from, from other musicians, and not just people who work with them, uh, from... from you know, guitarist Steve Hackett of Genesis mm-hmm. telling about the first time they walked into Abbey Road Studios as Genesis and they're getting it together and we're going to record. And he said, we see a, a what looks like a gold album on the wall and we walk in and it says uh, to the Beatles for one billion, you know, songs sold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, and we just stood there mm-hmm. and you look at that and you absorb the number. And he said, and they call him Pete, which is always weird. Pete Gabriel, not Peter to the band who's Pete. He says, and Pete said, how would they quantify that? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you look at that and you think, okay, we can either turn around and run back out and put our tails between our legs or take a deep breath, move forward, go down to Studio 2 and say, well, let's give it our best shot. Because you can't touch that. You're not going to be in competition with that the plaque on the wall. Just no, say, we, we... it is funny that people <laughs> think of that, you know, find that studio intimidating, you know, and exciting. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, were you intimidated by it? No. Uh, we weren't. I mean, it was the first studio we'd ever been in. Uh, we were nervous about that. You know, it was, for us, it was just, oh, we're going in a real recording studio. We were very excited. Uh, but that was, obviously, we'd never been in a studio before. So we were not exactly intimidated, but certainly thrilled at the fact that we were going to be in a real studio. And But it hadn't, by the, it hadn't at that point achieved the sort of legendary, intimidating status. Right, it was the, just the, a nice studio. It was just a good studio. It was where you made your records if you were on EMI, which we were. Talk about the mania of what this is. Another dear friend of ours, Billy J. Kramer, yeah. he said, oh, everybody said, oh, it was great, all those girls running after you. And as he said, no, if, if two girls want to be with you, it's great. When a thousand girls mm. are running after you, they're going to hurt you. He said, Brian bought me this beautiful overcoat because he wanted me to travel in class. And we're in somewhere in the middle of Ireland. And I thought, well, nobody's around here. I just want to go out and get a burger or something. And he walked out and they tore the coat off him and ripped it yeah. to shreds. And he thought, yeah. that, he said, it, that's not fun. That, you know, like you being chased no. for your life. That's it could not get fun. a little bit creepy. Um, your friend but, Jeremy Clyde, who yeah. you're touring with, yes. told this story about uh, touring with Chad. And a woman leapt out of like a balcony and landed on him and oh. fell on him. And thank God he was all right. But that, I said, pure terror. Yeah, that never happened to us. But yes, they, on mass, you know, they can they can get a little bit scary. And I think it was that desperation for a souvenir that that led to they would try to pull your clothes and your hair. And remember the Ringo story, even at the British consulate, you know, with the with the upper class, and a woman brings a scissor and cuts off some of his hair. Yes. And this is yeah. this is you know the the high society. Yep, exactly. Well, we I think we've discovered these days that there's nothing... High society people are in no way superior morally or ethically to, to, to the working classes. But, but there is one the thing, other way around. But so there's one thing I found me. out is I did not know that the royal family doesn't sweat, or at least one one member of them doesn't seem to ha- oh, that's have right. to be able to sweat. That's right, exactly. 
But he's sweating now. <laughs> <laughs> There's we went to a panto to, at the Palladium, which I love every time. Uh, Julian Clary and yeah. Nigel Havers. And yeah. if you've never seen a British panto, Peter and I are telling you right now: if you go, go. It's to Christmas. It's the most fun, silly thing in yeah. the world. Yeah. And it, they were doing Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and this elegant, beautiful, wonderful actor, Nigel Havers, was playing the Papa Bear. And we came out for the bow. He quieted the crowd and said, as he's dripping from this bear suit, says, "By the way." I know this will ruin any chance of me getting a knighthood, but if Prince Andrew is here, this, sir, is sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Eruption from the yeah, audience. Just absolutely Of course. Uh, Peter Asher is here. The book, The Beatles from A to Z. He's performing in our neck of the woods. There were two great duos. It was Chad and Jeremy, Peter and Gordon. Yep. And Chad doesn't want to perform anymore. Yeah, he's done. It's yep. fine. He's retired. Love him. Yep. And, you know, so Gord, you and Gordon came back together and did the Fest for Beatles fans for so many years. And Gordon passed. And I know it was very tough for you. It was very weird for you. You've had a, a career all on your own. But Peter and Gordon's Peter and Gordon. How did it happen at that moment that, hey, Jeremy Clyde, what if we go out as Peter and Jeremy? Well, to be honest, I think uh, even of even when, when Gordon had died and before Chad had retired, you know, Jeremy and I have been friends forever, and uh, so it you know it had, had occurred to us from time to time. The, the weird part is, you know, how many similarities between the two duos there were. That's what's so peculiar because there were indeed really only two duos of the British Invasion, and we both had characteristics which set us apart from pretty much everybody else. Which is first of all, we weren't from Liverpool, we weren't working class. Uh, in each case, there was the tall, handsome one who sang the low part and, and you know, the short, nerdy one who sang the high part. <laughs> and think about this, even more strange, in both cases, the short, nerdy one's name was first, which you would not right. expect. Right. And we actually, Gordon and I had begun life as Gordon and Peter when we first got together. It was EMI Records Marketing who said, Peter and Gordon sounds better, so we're changing your name. And who was I to complain? So <laughs> so we were Peter and Gordon. And they, oddly, were Chad and Jeremy. So when Chad decided to retire, it just had a kind of obviousness to it. Jeremy and I looked at each other and kind of went, well, what the hell? You know, I'd never sung Summer Song in my life. I knew it because you knew records that you loved on the radio. But you sang and the same parts of each of each song, like you sang... The high part, right. Yeah. So, so it... it it worked. I mean, it was, it was the harmonies are and, beautiful. And Jeremy sings, obviously, "I'm Well Without Love" and "Nobody I Know," and I go to pieces and all the Peter and Gordon hits. And you know, both Jeremy and I are, are, are actors as well. He's, he he acts more than I do at the moment, but but so we're both you know real hams when it comes to being on stage. So we you get, do a great. We get show. to indulge in what what we think is a bit of witty repartee, you know. And um, it is. But let me interrupt you to tell yes. anybody to see Peter and Jeremy. It's as much a storyteller show yeah. as it is brilliant music. And the songs, the harmonies, your harmonies together are magic. But I, at this point in our lives, the storyteller part, even Paul McCartney is a, tells stories yep. during a show, even when he's in a stadium, because that brings us closer to the music and a little bit of history that he does with every song. And you do as well. And weaving stories like the Beatles from A to Z into the stage, it just makes the songs more alive to me. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant show. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Truly yeah, we, is. we have fun doing it, for sure. Yeah, and it it works because you're of the, of the same era, the same vintage, and you tell the story of it. It's the thing that always amazes me is not that I love it because I grew up on it. I bought World Without Love as a 45. We all bought these records. But when somebody, uh, a friend who's listing in Florida, um, Charles 
Medell is 10 years old and emails me to go, I'm reading Peter Asher's book now about the Beatles. If you think about 1967, Sgt. Pepper's was the number one album. And when it was re-released three years ago, it was the number one album. The number three vinyl album in the world for 2019 was Abbey Road. That would be like in 1967, the number one album in Britain was Stardust by Hoagie Carmichael, yeah, and yeah. second was The Beatles. That's yes. the that's mm. the outlier of it, is that every generation loves the music they grew up with. Of course, every teenager loves the music. But for this to connect to a 10-year-old so deeply that they want to read about it, much less listen to it, everybody always asks me, what, what is it? And I, it's, I don't know, it's the music. Well, it's it's the music, and it's the fact that yeah, um, the music primarily, of course, and the, the Beatles came together like a perfect storm. You know, it's that that, that whole theory where you know a whole set of circumstances need to be met for that perfect storm to actually happen. Right, and they all were, and the 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 musical contributions each of them made and the talents each of them had fit perfectly to create something that was even bigger than the sum of the parts. Even though the parts were amazing, they all would have been stars on their own if they'd never met. But but the the band became something better, and even even leaving the music aside for a moment, even the the individual characteristics of the Beatles, it's as if, you know, when they invented the Spice Girls, they cast it. You know, they right. said, okay, we're gonna have this one, posh that one. one the That's what they do one. with the boy bands, right. the dangerous one. They, exactly. Yeah. It's as if somebody had done that. You know, so okay, we'll have the well the, the super friendly one who's nice to everybody, Paul. We'll have we'll the have snarky the, the one, the quiet one, the quiet one, the snarky one, the the really funny, odd looking one that all the mums and kids love. And you know, we it's as if somebody magical had went, let's invent this band, and then let's have them create this music that's better than any pop music that's ever happened before. And everything was in place for them to be an extraordinary phenomenon. I couldn't say it any better. There was one quote that George gave when talking about when Pete Best left in the recording Love Me Do. It was such a fascinating phrase. He said, you know, Pete left and then Ringo entered the movie. Yeah. I thought, entered the movie? Yeah. It must have felt like that somehow, yeah, that it's surreal, fast, this is some, Somebody cast somebody new in the movie. Entered the movie, <laughs> right. Now we enter Ringo, scene right. 16, right. here comes Ringo. Exactly. And they all talk about how from that, that moment it just felt right. They knew they were, this was the Beatles, you know. There was that one line that Lennon said where Pete was a great drummer, Ringo was a better Beatle. <laughs> I don't think he was as good a drummer as Ringo, but I'm an amateur drummer. I'm just good enough to know mm-hmm. how bad I am. But mm-hmm. I can I can play, you know, I can I can keep up. I can rehearse and, and play things. But with just the passing of Neil Peart from Rush, who's the most amazing yeah. technician and, yeah. and, and artist. Not just a, t- a technician makes him sound like he didn't have soul or feel. He could paint with this incredible drum kit. Yeah. But everybody says who is who's the greatest drummer? You love Ringo. Do you who's better, Ringo or Neil Peart? And I always say the answer is yes. Because yeah. your job as a drummer is to be is to do what that band needs. Well, Ringo was a great drummer ranger too. I mean, the parts he came up with for every song were different. To which no, who else would have ever thought of what the pattern was for come together? Yeah, exactly. No one else ever played that, and yet I couldn't think of another. You could get twenty drummers in 1969 who wouldn't come up with anything better than right. Exactly. No, that's right. And and every single drummer now knows that part. That's and you have an to indication play, and you have to play it perfectly. It yeah. And if you miss one day on we were doing the live breakfast with the Beatles from the cutting room and uh, Billy Amendola from Modern Drummer asked me to play on one of the songs and I played Lovely Rita. Oh cool. And just in the fill, just dun dum bum 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 ba dum. And if you miss right. one shot, 
You screwed it up. <laughs> N- name another song where if you missed one drum on the fill, everybody go, nah, no, nah, he doesn't know it. I have friends who are into little tribute bands and you know play <clears> clubs, <throat> and they're always looking for a drummer because the drummer never shows up. You know? And they said, whenever you hire a drummer, what do you play? Said, a lot of 60s, you know, British Invasion, Beatles. As soon as the drummer says, oh, that's easy. I know who he stinks. I know right. he doesn't because he never listened to it. Right. And he thinks right. it's just 4-4. Four, four. Peter Asher is my guest. Ken Dash has Beatles Revolution. In the re-release of Abbey Road and listening to Come Together on the air and the other takes, and I realize something I never heard before. This has come together over me. But then if you think about it, it's John Lennon saying, okay, we, we had it out at the White Album. We were kind of at each other for a lot of ways. All right, you want to come together? You want to do this? You want to do this? Okay, let me tell you about the Beatles. This guy, Mr. Holy Roller BS with his Hare Krishna and all that crap. Here's this guy who's, you know, the face and he's so handsome. You don't even know. You can't even see who he is because he's so good looking. And me, I'm the worst. Hold you in my arms. You can feel his disease. I'm the worst of all. And this guy's an idiot. But you know what? You want another album? All right, we're going to come together. I started this band and I'm going to finish it. Come together over me. And you could look at it as him... That's, shooting at all four of them, himself included, going, but you want to do this? We'll do it. That's an interesting analysis. Yeah, very good. That's fascinating. And for George to come out with the two biggest songs, as far as radio goes and hits and downloads, of all the fighting to try to get his tracks on, something in Here Comes the Sun. John, Paul, sorry, boys, you got to move over. George has the album. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, <laughs> the, the, all, the, all the angst that George went through in the early days, you know, probably only made him a better songwriter in the end. Yeah. Know, because he was just, I'm, I'll show them. You know, I'm sure there was some of that going on. And he did show them. And he did. Peter Asher, thank you so much for coming by. Don't be a stranger. You know you got a home No, no. Here. Every time I'm in New York, I will definitely come by and say hello. It's great. It's always fun. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.